In Christ Jesus, dear fellow redeemed, grace and peace is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a sermon series, and today's sermon is Speak Well of One Another. I just want to tell you at the, at the front end, this is going to be more like a Bible study. There are several Bible passages that have been engraved in my heart about speaking well of others that I want to share with you. And so instead of this sermon being a text that we expound upon, I'm going to be going through several texts that you'll see on your screen. But it might be very helpful if you would get your own Bible out and look them up as we go. Or get a pen and paper and just jot down where they are or what they are. Of course, since you're watching online, you can always go back and watch this again and, and take notes. But you'll want to look these up again, I'm sure. It's going to be, I, I believe, very meaningful and very helpful as you live out your life of faith, learning to build up people and the body of Christ instead of tear them down. First of all, I want to start with uh, a story about myself. Uh, one of the passages that's in the Proverbs in the Old Testament that sort of haunts me it goes like this. In the multitude of many words, there is no lack of sin. I have always been a person who used a lot of words. Uh, when I was little in grade school, the, my report card would often have a box checked on it that says, he has excessive talking. Um, it's just been a habit of mine. So when I met this proverb, it, I, I, I knew right away that I was vulnerable to its accusations. In the multitude of many words, there is no lack of sin. And I know that, that through my talking, I've gotten myself into trouble with people and God before. And I want to tell you a story. It's, it's like yesterday to me. It was in high school. I had a friend that few things that he didn't want anybody else to know. And I promised I wouldn't tell anyone else. And within 24 hours, I had told a couple other people. And I could still see his face when he cornered me in the ag barn when we were out there taking care of our livestock. And he was livid and upset and hurt that I had shared what he had shared with me in confidence. I had shared with other people. And I had not shared it in a way to help him. It was, it was hurtful. I was crushed by my own guilt and shame and that I had hurt my friend. And it, it was, I, I would say that in one way, our relationship never fully recovered from my sin. And I, and I was driven to think a lot about this habit of saying things to hurt other people or that would ultimately lead to their hurt and what that was all about. It was a couple of years later that I got more into Bible study. I grew up going to church and Sunday school and, and was confirmed and had memorized a lot of scripture. But uh, it was just at the end of high school and the beginning of college that I really began to study scripture as my own personal devotional life. And one of the things that I began to try to tackle was this taming the tongue. Um, I, I, I had learned the ways of the world to speak uh, some of the foulest language in the most undisciplined way of speaking about people. And, and I was strict grip on that. And I was in the fight to, to stop being someone with a, what we used to call a potty mouth. And I remember wrestling with this in my devotional life and reading scripture about it and stumbling on several passages um, first of all, I want, to just, I want to show you some of those passages. So well, let's look at the, a passage from James 3. This shows us God's heart and God's will about, about this subject of, of, of taming the tongue and learning to speak well of other people. James was Jesus' brother. 
And he knew the, the, the power of the tongue. And the entire chapter 3 of James' letter that's in the New Testament talks about the use of our tongue. But I'm just going to show you where he gets very emotional and says, there's something about the tongue of a believer when they speak negatively about somebody else that shouldn't be happening. And, it, and, it, and it's hard on God because he doesn't want it to happen. I'm going to read it to you. It's James 3, 9 through 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's image, God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I want to highlight two things that James is saying to show you how important this is to God that we get a grip on our tongue. The Holy Spirit, when he comes to live in our heart by faith in Jesus Christ, wants us to clean up the well. He wants us to be a, a, a beautiful spring of living water that pours forth fresh water for all people. He doesn't want salt water, which isn't healthy for you. It can make you crazy if you drink densely uh, salted water. He doesn't want us to be hurting other people's reputation. And this is what he says in the passage. People are made in the image of God. Now that image is marred by the fact that they're sinners and that they're flawed. And usually we pick at their sins to speak bad about them or speak bad to them and criticize them. But this is what James says. They were made in the image of God and God does not want you to say, well, I praise God who's wonderful, but I can speak against the crown of his creation. Um, you could speak against a dog or a cat all day long. <laughs> They're just a pet. But don't speak against God's crown of his creation made in his likeness. God reserves people to be that, that thing to redeem. We are the beings that he made in his image. And when we fall into sin, even if we're worthy of the criticism you would give us, he wants you to seek to restore us, not to tear us down or to make other people hate us, to, to ruin our lives. He doesn't want me to do that. He doesn't want you to do that. It's near his heart. And, and, and so when I stumbled on this passage, uh, that it, it made me serious about my sin of being a negative person about other people because they are made in the image of God. And now I felt like David in Psalm 51 that when I said something about somebody, I wasn't just sinning against them. I was sinning against God because David said in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned when he had really sinned with Bathsheba and against Uriah also. Now it becomes personal to God that I have a tongue that might not speak well of other people. Um, now, if we're just talking about speaking negatively about other people, though, we're still on the surface because that's the symptom. We need to go to the Holy Spirit as the heart doctor, and we need to see what the cause is. So first of all, let's go to, the, to a passage that talks about the symptom. Go to the next slide. This is the Eighth Commandment. It's, this is God talking about behavior, and it's one of the top ten. This is how near and dear it is to God that we would not sin with our tongue. He made it one of the commandments. He says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. 
And so now we know it's in the letter of James, and it's also in the Eighth Commandment. I can tell you four or five other passages where God talks about a perverse tongue is something that he despises. But it's just a symptom of a deeper problem. So let's go to the next slide, and we're going to see using our words to tear others down and their reputation is a symptom. And it's a symptom of a deeper problem. And Jesus tells us what it is in his own words in Matthew's gospel. So let's look at that. Matthew chapter 12, the, the Pharisees are criticizing Jesus, and this is what he says to them. Matthew 12, 34 to 35. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. This is Jesus saying, If you just focus on trying to tame the tongue to stop yourself from saying negative things about people, you're only focusing on the surface because the real problem is in the heart. The reason people say gossip about another person is because they themselves are selfish, self-centered, which makes them insecure, and it's out of the evil of their own self center that they would speak against others. You know, the word Satan means accuser. And so we are devilish and selfish and satanic when we actually speak against other people to tear down their reputation. It's a heart problem. It's evil in our own heart that selfishness is evil that makes us want to say things negative about other people. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 15 that this all is what resides in the heart of people. The Pharisees were focusing on washing hands to be ceremonially and spiritually clean. And Jesus says, that's just on the surface of life. Here's what's deep in the heart of people. I'll read it to you. It's Matthew 15, 18 to 20. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. The father, the brother of Jesus, the father in heaven, the brother of Jesus, and Jesus himself all talk very seriously and severely about what's in the heart of people. Slander, false testimony, Things that are harmful to other people's reputation. And slander can be speaking the true way that you're trying to hurt somebody else and not restore them. Jesus says, this is what defiles you and me. And to to make matters more serious, Jesus tells us that our words will be one of the big things God uses to judge us at the end of our lives and on judgment day. This is the verdict that he has on sins. Go to the next slide. He says in Matthew 12, this is right after he talked about out of a heart, somebody speaks what their heart is full of. This is what he says. And I want you to listen carefully because you and I need to hear this as we get serious about learning how to speak well of other people. This is not a surface thing. Uh, Let me read the passage to you. I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Every empty word 
If you have wasted the airwaves of someone else's mind and heart with words that were not full of grace and truth and love, if you have focused only on idle preoccupations, negativism of other people, tearing down somebody's reputation, telling filthy jokes, only fooling around with your words. Think of all the sitcoms, all the nighttime talk shows. Think about your own uh, use of words. You will stand before God and be judged for every word. Are you ready? Do you want to take it serious now? It's crushing to think about that, especially for a person like me who talks a lot (laughs) because I struggle with this yet today, the empty words that I might speak. Jesus is serious that we will come under judgment for every word, but there is a solution. And I hope that you're hurting enough under the law of God about gossip and word negativity and sinful speech that you're willing to listen to his solution because it is the only way out of that judgment otherwise we will be condemned he told us that but it's not everything that he said so go to that next passage the response that we have when we hear that we would be judged we will be judged for every empty word that we'd ever say is the same one that Isaiah gave God in Isaiah 6 Isaiah had a vision where he saw heaven and he saw God enthroned in his holy temple and there was smoke and the holiness of God was all around and there were angels all around God and they had eyes all over them and God was seeing into Isaiah's soul and he had many sins he could have confessed but he confessed the sin of of sinful speech. Look what he says. It's Isaiah 6. Woe to me! I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Don't we live in a land of unclean lips? Aren't most of our news reports bent on telling you the sins of other people? Aren't our politics charged with mudslinging and slander and telling the evils? Aren't campaign leaders looking for the dirt in people's past? Don't most of our shows and our Netflix and our comedies and our comedians and our our nighttime people, don't they spend a lot of time tearing down the reputation of others? Aren't our phones filled with social media that's full of criticism, selfishness, hate, or self. Yeah, we live among a people of unclean lips so that we think that the use of our tongue in whatever way we please or the use of our social media in whatever way we please is certainly a small matter to to God as long as we keep ourselves out of adultery or out of murder or out of of chasing after someone and physically abusing them. We're the good people, but we can do anything we want with our phone or our tongue. It's not true. And you see the Holy One of God and you see what's on His heart. And we've been showing you there's one response and that's Isaiah's. I'm a person of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And to learn 
to, con- to, to, get, to blush and confess the sin of breaking the eighth commandment. That's what God wants. He says later in Isaiah 57, Isaiah says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God says, I will not despise. Do you have a broken heart about the way you communicated up to the present? He says, confess it as a sin. And when you confess it as a sin, he wants you to know that because of his son, Jesus Christ, he has forgiven you. Because what you said was not that bad. It was terrible. But because of Jesus, he forgives you. In Psalm 130, the psalmist says, If you, Lord, kept a record of our sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. We know there's forgiveness with God. The Jesus is the one that said, You will be stand for, under God's judgment on judgment day for what you said, for every idle, empty word. That is, if you take everything else Jesus said, if you don't have Jesus covering your life. You have one option. Confess it and run to Christ and let him cover your sins with his righteous life. The man who never said one wasted, evil, negative, selfish word. He always spoke according to grace and truth. He was perfect. And he covers your life with his righteousness. It's your only hope. But it is a hope. You are forgiven. And then you'll be able to stand the judgment because you'll be covered by Christ. Confession and faith in Christ. Faith in his forgiveness. When you know that, it's like coming to judgment day ahead of time. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, it's John 16, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness. And that's what he's done to us today based on the eighth commandment. He's led us to confess it as a sin and to cleanse us of it. But now, what happens next? Well, the psalmist in Psalm 130 goes on a little further. He says, with you there's forgiveness. And then he says, so that, this is a commitment to change, so that with reverence we would serve you. This is what happened to me in my lifetime as a young man going through a deep regret about the use of my tongue. A desire out of forgiveness and grace to serve God. Uh, Between high school and my 10th year high school anniversary, this whole spiritual growth time happened where I was led by God to bear down on the, the sinfulness of my own speech. Remember, my reputation in high school was of having a potty mouth. Even though people knew that I was a church boy too. Living two different lives. When I went to my high school reunion and they found out that I was almost finished studying to be a pastor. And I was a vicar, really, at that time in our church in Texas and Houston. And my classmates that were there at the 10-year reunion, they filled out a little card for the, the, the most changed male, the most changed female. And I hadn't changed this in 10 years. They put down the most changed male was Donald Patterson of their class. There were 150 classmates there. I believe it was because God had changed me with his law and gospel by his Holy Spirit so that they were like, this guy would be using his words to be proclaiming God's truth 
that we were with in high school. I'm not proud of the high school thing, but I am thankful for what the Holy Spirit has done. I want to serve God, even though I still stumble with the use of my tongue. And that's why I need this sermon just as much as you do. And that's why I would put it in a summer sermon series about speaking well of other people so that we would all learn from it. So we have more to look at in God's word. As we want to serve God out of reverence, we have a few more things to look at. What does it look like to serve God out of reverence? What does a good heart sound like? Well, Martin Luther wrote an explanation to every commandment. I showed you the eighth commandment before that God said, don't bear false testimony against my neighbor. But now I'm going to read to you what Martin Luther said about the eighth commandment. And many of you had to memorize it. Just listen carefully to what it looks like to want to serve God with your tongue. What does it mean, the eighth commandment? Luther says, we should fear and love God that we do not tell lies about our neighbor. We do not betray him. We do not slander him, which means even tell the truth about him in order to hurt his reputation. We do not hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest possible way. That, we used to say uh, in the old way of saying this, this uh, Luther's writing, Luther wrote it in German, take his words and actions in the kindest possible way. This latest translation, I like it. It says explain it because the, the commandment is about giving false testimony about someone. Explaining it in the kindest possible way. Picture a little schoolboy coming home after he'd gotten a fight at school and his teacher reprimanded him, telling the story of how his teacher's unfair and always picks on him, not telling her actions in the kindest possible way. Picture us uh, talking about how somebody bullied us at school, but we knew that we actually aggravated them and bullied them first, not telling it in the kindest possible way. Think about how husbands and wives can always uh, get in, can get caught in always criticizing their other uh, actions and words of their spouse and not taking them in the kindest possible way. Think about how people can take, interview someone and then take what they said out of context and make it say something they wanted to say, not in the kindest possible way. What it looks like re- protecting someone's reputation, purposefully not sharing their faults. When someone else shares their faults, According to what Luther said, we would, get, we would maybe tell about the extent, not making excuses, but the extenuating circumstances, help other people understand their background. I can't tell you how many times that I've said something that was critical of someone and my wife said, yeah, but let me explain their background and let's put it in a more positive light. Changed my whole way of thinking. Speaking well of other people helps rectify other people's reputation and build them up. It, it leaves room for grace to forgive their faults and, and let their strengths shine. Speaking to people in the kindest possible way about their sins helps create an atmosphere where they want to listen because they don't think you're trying to judge them. They think you're trying to help them and they can sense that you love them and forgive them and that's why you would share anything at all. Speaking well of others is a blessing. It's like James said in that first passage, chapter 3, it's fresh water, not that brackish, salty water that doesn't satisfy the thirst. People are even glad if you have to confront them, if you say it in a way that's to build them up. There's a a neat four-question questionnaire that we could ask ourselves, and I've got it on a slide for you. 
If we can memorize these four questions to ask yourself, Proverbs, it says that a wise man's heart teaches his mouth what to speak. And it says those who are slow to speak and quick to listen bring forth righteousness. So we want to learn to slow down and ask ourselves questions. If we're in the fight to speak well of other people, and here's four questions that you can ask yourself. At the very top of this circle is the first question. And you ask yourself, is what I'm about to say about this person the truth? Am I exaggerating? Am I lying? Am I just trying to say what's my perception and my opinion, or is it the truth? The second one to the, to the right of the, the, the picture is, it might be the truth, but is it kind? Is it kind to mention it at all? Or is it something that I should leave unsaid? Most of the time, when we're feeling negative about someone, the only reason we're going to share that thing that is the truth is that it's because we want to be unkind to their reputation. Um, this is very, very important that we learn to search our hearts. We can ask ourselves, why would I want to share the truth? If you can't think of a kind reason that builds that person up, then leave that thought in the pit and just leave it unsaid. Don't let anybody know about it. Leave it at Christ's feet and let him take care of it. Lots of times the reason we want to share it is because we're selfish and we want, we, we were better about ourselves to bring it up. Or we're scared of them and we're mad at them and we want to tear them down because they've hurt us. So is it true or is it kind are the first two questions. The third question is, is it necessary? Maybe it's an empty word. Maybe it's just filling up time. Maybe it's not something that's really necessary to share at all. It doesn't help the person we're talking to. It certainly doesn't help them in their relationship with the other person. It may be that we're feeling kind of kind, but it doesn't help anybody at all for us to bring it up. It's not really needed. Why don't we be quiet? In the multitude of many words, there is no lack of sin. And a wise man has few words. So that's the third question. Is it necessary? And then the fourth question is, it kind of covers it all. Would Jesus say it? Can I imagine Jesus Christ saying this? If you can't imagine that Jesus would say it, don't say it. Think of how much that would help us if we'd ask those four questions. Is it the truth? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And would Jesus say it? You can just write those down and, and work on that. He loves it when he sees you working on that in order that you might speak well of other people and not negatively. Let's go to the next point. Clean up your literary footprint. That's the response that we want to have to this sermon and these Bible verses. What do I mean by literary footprint? Well, you know, you hear a lot today about your carbon footprint. People say, how big of a carbon footprint are you leaving behind as you leave this earth? And they're talking, it's that whole green environmental movement. Well, a spiritual green movement would say, how much of a literary footprint that's negative are you leaving behind? By literary, I mean with words. Because words are planted in people's minds and hearts, whether you speak them or write them. They are left in their hearts. And, and we need to clean it up. If you want to glorify God, and you do, if you are appreciative of His grace, and you are, you want to clean up your literary footprint. So you leave behind a, a wonderful blessing in the words and actions that you, the words that you, especially today, that you've shared to and about other people. Here's three things about clean, that I want to mention that are make up cleaning up your literary footprint. The first one is, 
Think before you speak. That's what we just talked about, those four questions. Think about it before you speak so that going forward, you have greater blessings coming out of your mouth and into your phone if you're typing things out. The second thing, apologize to those that you've hurt with words. We, we, we know that we can't take away the fact that the words will always be remembered. We can actually cover them over with whiteout. I don't know if, you, if you're old enough to know what whiteout is because it's all about pen and paper or typewriters. But an eraser is to erase it completely. Well, you can't erase the words that you've said, but you can cover them up with grace and apology. You can cover them up with love and humility. You can, and the person can remember not only did they say the thing that they shouldn't have said to me or about me, but they apologized. And that apology will always be there to, to, to bless them alongside of the hurt. Let me, let me tell you a story. I was going down a river last Sunday evening with a friend. And he is a leader at a church. And he had, when in the absence of a pastor, he had read a sermon to the congregation that his pastor had prepared before he left town. He said, I read it 20 times to practice. And then when I got in front of the congregation, and this man speaks often to groups, off the cuff and does very well. He says, but in a sermon, I just felt like I had to get it right. I didn't want to mess up God's word, so I had to read it. But I was trying to read it with emotion in the proper place. And he goes, I messed up so much in that sermon. There was a lady who visited our church that knew me from work. And she and her husband were there. And at the end of church, she came up to me and said, you never read that sermon ahead of time, did you? You just read it for the first time from the pulpit. That crushed me because I had read it 20 times and five times that morning. And I, but I did struggle with it. And he said, that's all she said. And I said, no, ma'am, I, I, I read it 20 times and five times this morning. She said, well, it sure didn't sound like it. And she walked out. He said, I was crushed. She, he said, I could tell, though, that her husband was upset with her for being so curt with me. And he said, a, 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 a week later, she came back to church. And he said, I've only had this happen twice in my life. And this is the second time. This woman came up to me in the hallway of our church. And he, she said, I have something to say to you. And he said, she looked me dead in the eye. And she said, I have never been more rude to another person than I was last Sunday to you. And I apologize. That was so wrong of me. He said, that apology meant the world to me. And he goes, I'll never forget it. And it, he said, it's been a blessing to me all week long to think about that she apologized for her sin. Why am I telling you that? Maybe there's something you said. Maybe you said it years ago and you still haven't apologized. You think it's okay because they said something negative that you said something negative. It's not okay. You can't make them apologize. And, and trying to apologize, to get them to apologize, is no apology at all. Right now, the Lord just wants you to clean up what you did. He wants you to put some of that, that white over what you said by a humble apology. Go clean up your literary footprint. It might be that you need to say that to a parent or a brother or sister or a son or a daughter. But go do it now. Don't wait. Don't wait till your whole life is gone or that you're on your deathbed. Do it now. Give them the blessing. Because you believe that God wants you to speak well of others and to others. Go and straighten it out. Jesus said, if your brother has something against you, don't even come worship God. Leave your gift at his altar and go be reconciled to your brother. Do that for the Lord's sake.
The third thing is, cleanse your social media and keep it clean. First of all, it is foolish to write things down in social media because they'll be there forever and you can't really completely retract them. When you're very upset, it is downright sinful to cuss and swear and, and use expletives in your social media. Uh, it, it is wrong. And if you've got that out there on your, your own social media page like Facebook or Instagram or you've done it. I know Snapchat kind of just goes away as you do it. You go out and you clean it up. Some of you may need to just completely pull down your entire account. If you're going to do it again, start over. But you've got to clean it up. You, you cannot, child of God. I am, I am aghast as a pastor at some of the things that I see God's people who say, like James said, they, in one word they say, I praise the Lord, I'm a believer. And in another word, they say some of the harshest, meanest, vulgar things. Clean it up. You're leaving behind a cesspool of literary footprint when you do that. And it is so anti-Christ. And the devil just laughs when you vent uh, and in print where he can continue to bounce it around the world. Instead, use all of that media to do the opposite. And maybe it's to put out an apology, a retraction, and then erase everything. Pull it down best you can. Cleanse, it, cleanse your social media and keep it clean. That's what God wants. And in this day and age, when we are trained by the people of unclean lips that we live among, that it's okay to speak evil of dignitaries, whether you're an Obama guy, girl, or you're a Trump guy, girl, or you're a Biden or whatever political side of the aisle you're on, it's not okay for you to be out there speaking harshly, um, critically as if you know them better than anybody else. It's better to stay completely out of that and keep your thoughts in mind and your words in print in ways that glorify God and don't speak way beyond your person of those people. That's a way that you glorify God. And that's what it looks like to speak well of others. Now, close to home, in family or church, what would it be like if you're in your family, everyone was careful not to hate on somebody else? In a family with a lot of adult children, and there's marriages involved, and there's, uh, there's, there's cousins involved, and that's where there's a whole bunch of people. It's really easy to sort of be like a bunch of chickens in a hen house where somebody gets a little, a little, uh, in a hen house, a chicken house, a little chicken gets a little bloody spot. And then everybody comes over and starts pecking on it. It's easy in a family to start hating on someone and to drive them crazy just because of a flaw or two. Rather than cover it with grace, forget to even talk about it, keep it hidden and build them up as a child of God. What would it be like if in our families and our churches... Everyone spoke well of another. I don't mean lying about saying they're good when they're not. I mean, you can be honest, but I mean about being uh, encouraging and grace-filled and restorative instead of destructive. It'd be beautiful and wonderful. In fact, I'd want to be a member of that family. I'd want to be a member of that church. I want people to want to be in my family. I want people to want to be, and I know you do too. So clean it up. Speak well of others. And when you need to solve a problem or you're worried about somebody's soul, talk to them lovingly with the goal of restoration and not about them. 
Talk to them and not about them and talk to them with the goal of restoration. And they'll understand and it'll be good. And they'll want to be a part of your family and your church. Three final things that I want you to think about when we talk about uh, speaking well of one another. The first one, it's never too late to start having clean words. It's never too late. See, it's real easy when you hear a sermon like this. Man, I've wasted so much time. And uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know how I could rectify it. it. I don't even know where to start. You know, you ever gone to your garage to clean it up or a closet? And you think, oh, I don't want to do it today because it's just, I don't even know where to start. It's such a mess. People do that with their, their spiritual life too. They just, oh, I'm not even going to try. It's just such a mess. I'm just going to keep trashing it. Well, look at this guy. Thief on the cross. He has spent his whole life, in fact, if you read all the four Gospels, even on the cross, both the criminals cursed Jesus at first. So up to the cross experience, this guy has had a foul mouth. And in the middle of dying on the cross with Jesus, it finally, by the Holy Spirit, is on him. The guy dying with me is my Savior. And he cleans up his words. Luke chapter 23. Then one of the criminals who was hanged there, he, he was hurling blasphemies at Jesus saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other criminal, he rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Don't you see that we're under the same sentence? We're under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly do it. We're receiving what's due penalty for our sins, our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, you can say it to me. You know the story so well. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. You know, that man's one good word, rebuking the evil of the other Criminal, that he had just been acting like himself, now converted, rebuking him and speaking well of Jesus. That one word has spoken more sermons than I ever will in my entire life. And I didn't live a life of a thief and a robber. God can take one good word at the end of your life and it out and do more with it than a lifetime of speaking well of others. Don't, don't let the devil convince you that it's, it's not time to clean it up. Clean it up now. You may get the most changed male award or most changed female award, but who cares? You need to. It's a good award to have if it means that Christ has cleaned up your life. Second thing as a final thing. Let go of trying to overcome every bad word that somebody else has said against you. I still remember junior high and high school, particularly the girls standing in the hallway, hand on the hip, yelling at another girl, because of something she said about her. And I've seen, I used to see some after school and during school fights by those girls too, because they're trying to clean up what the other person said to hurt their reputation. What a, a foolish way to live. And what a sign of the insecurity of the one that was gossiped about. And fortunately, most people grow out of that gross example, but not always. We can sometimes spend a tremendous amount of time and because our love affair with ourselves is damaged by the fact that somebody said something negative about us. And really, our being upset is not so much a tribute to, 
to how evil they were and that they said it. Yes, it was wrong that they did. But how evil we are in loving ourselves so much that we're so damaged by what they said. Actually, as we mature and grow, we don't need to try to clean up everything someone else said. Jesus modeled it for us, but Solomon, outside of Jesus, the wisest man on earth, wrote a beautiful passage that I clung to for many years, Ecclesiastes 7. Because I need to, because I get worried about what people say and do about me. Here's the passage, Ecclesiastes 7. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. All people are sinners, your spouse included. Your best friend, your, your kids, do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. I'd like to add, you might even hear your son or daughter say something to the other siblings bad about you. You might hear your spouse say something that hurts your feelings when they talk to somebody else about you. You might hear your fellow church members say something about you. Do not pay attention to every word people say. For you know what? Solomon says, you know that in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. You know you said something, even if it was just kind of a wink or just a little word, you've damaged, and it may be much more, you've damaged the others. And you've done it, even when you still like the person and you still love them. And many times the people you said it to, they took your words with a grain of salt. So when somebody else may mess up and they sin and they say something about you, don't, don't let the sermon like this get you all worked up because it's so wrong. Just forgive them for Jesus' sake. And remember, even you sometimes do it and you don't still hate the person. You love the person and you'll get over it and God will protect your reputation in spite of their words. I know that by experience. And the third one. Remember that Jesus is saying good things about you in the best place, the most important place that matters the most. Here's what I mean. When you hear a sermon that's a whole lot about the heart and the evil that it produces by bad words, and you think about the struggle you've had with with your tongue, uh, it's easy to have a guilt complex that's beyond what it should be because you forget the cross. And we, in this sermon, we led you to the cross and forgiveness in Jesus. But the Bible goes further than the cross. Using words, Jesus is in heaven and he's speaking good words to the Father about you. Even while you live in the guilt of having said something you shouldn't have to hurt somebody else's reputation recently. And in Romans 8, there's a whole section about suffering. And one of the things we suffer is worrying that when people criticize us, they're actually speaking the truth that we have failed. And it makes us feel guilty before God. And this is what Paul says. Romans eight thirty four. Who is the one who condemns you? It is Christ who died, who furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So while you're feeling guilty for failing with your tongue, Jesus is speaking with his tongue to the Father saying, but she trusts in me and the life and death and resurrection I gave for her. She believes in me. Father, forgive her. And you know what the Father says? Absolutely, Jesus. If she has her faith in you, if he has his faith in you, 
I forgive him. I forgive her. And just like a little child believes their parents really forgive them and goes on and plays, God wants you to live carefree, even of the guilt of a recent major moral failure with your tongue. He wants you to live free. And when you live free in grace, you'll even be more free to go humbly apologize because you don't need for them to to uphold your righteousness or not blame you. They may even still be mad at you, but you'll apologize sincerely because you know the Father already forgives you. Jesus is speaking to the Father in heaven in your behalf. Isn't grace a most wonderful, beautiful, life-changing thing? It actually cleanses your heart. And remember where Jesus said bad words start? They start in the heart where a person is insecure and self-righteous. Well, if grace comes in and cleanses you of self-righteousness and gives you God's righteousness, if it gives you peace where you used to have uh, turmoil and bitterness, suddenly the heart is ready to produce good things through the mouth or the social media about other people. And that's how Jesus works, to help us speak well of one another. Amen.